0: As you can see from your handout, the message is entitled, Godly Fear and Strong Confidence, Even More Insights from the Fear of the Lord. Uh, This is the fourth installment in five weeks that we've been looking at the fear of the Lord or godly fear. And we're taking our text, as you can see, I provided it in the English Standard Version there in your handout, from verse 15 as a key verse. And you can see you've got a lot of notes today. And uh, verse 15, and he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. And uh, we seem to have heard that before. Uh, David slaying Goliath, saying approximately the same thing. But that's the word of the Lord. He'll most certainly add his abundant, gracious, and magnified blessing to the reading of his holy truth, and let us pray. Our most blessed and gracious Father in God, in Jesus' name and for his sake, we thank you, Lord, for the uh, blessed truth that you have given us in Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we ask, Father, that you'll be glorified as Christ is exalted. The reason why we're here today is to worship you in the name of Christ and through Christ and by Christ. May your Holy Spirit have his way with us that we may understand what we're reading, that we may glorify you from Christ's exaltation. Forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we look at this text and worship you from the word. In Jesus' name and for his sake we do pray. Amen. So as far as for a breakdown of the chapter, now we've come to the end of Yehoshaphat's life. Yehoshaphat, again, his name is Yehovah, his name means Yehovah, is judge. Shaphat means judge, as in the title of the book of Judges, Shaphatim. And um, he reigned from 873 to 848 BC, 25 years. He's kind of an overlap in his reigning with his father Asa. As a uh, as a king, as a king who loved God, who was a righteous king, um, he didn't always do what was righteous, and he ended up having a disease in his feet the last few years of his reign. And as a result, Jehoshaphat reigned in his stead. Uh, in uh, I've broken it down into three. The chapter, for our understanding, I broke it down into three uh, three particular points, and then even some uh, to consider some application from the chapter just briefly as an introduction into our text but first there's a conflict before the nations and there's a parallel verse first in first kings chapter 22 verse 47 of uh, of what was going on here and in verses 1 and 2 Judah's uh the, the kingdom of Judah's peace is threatened by worldlings and idolaters. And in verse 1, it literally says, I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version, it says, Yehoshaphat slept with the, excuse me, that's chapter 21. Chapter 20 says, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the uh, Mayunites, came against Yehoshaphat for battle. And your King James Version uh, takes at least the names of the first two groups very literally, because it says in Hebrew, uh, uh It says the children of Moab and the children of Ammon. Uh, Vini Moab is the children of Moab. And uh, Vini Ammon, which is the children of Ammon. Remember that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon were the descendants of Lot after Sodom and Gomorrah. And some of you remember reading just last month uh, in Genesis uh, 19, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot's uh, Lot's daughters escaped with him, his wife turning into the pillar of salt and uh moab and ammon came forth uh as uh, her his daughters got him a little tipsy with the fruit of the grape and uh and so the people came forth uh moab which means the people uh from the father it means and ammon means the people uh means by people so there was a third group here uh, which is um Imhem im imham Uimahem means and I would say literally those with them, and they're probably they were probably Edomites, and Edom are were the descendants of Esau, remember the brother of Jacob. Edomites were in Mount Seir because of verse two and verse ten. I would think that these are people; these were Edomites that intermarried with the with the Ammonites, and they wanted to be Ammonitish. and that's why some of your translations say the Ammonites also it seems redundant but it is a different word there and that's my conjecture uh, uh, about it that it is edomites who probably intermarried with moab and ammon in verses 3 through 12 we see jehoshaphat jehoshaphat prays to the only one in the world who can help him now as these people come up from the south and they're at En They've already come into the land of Israel in En They came over from Edom and Mount Seir. And they came from the east of Israel. And they're gathered together to fight with uh, the people of Judah and Jehoshaphat in particular. And interestingly, as he prays, he prays to Jehovah God, the only one who can help. And in verse 7, we see... Um, a particular verse here where Abraham is mentioned. He says, um, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And this is a place where in, in James chapter 2, verse 23... James mentions in his letter in the New Testament that uh, Abraham was the, called the friend of God. Isaiah 41 and verse 8, he's also called the friend of God, the friend of Jehovah God. And so that is mentioned in the prayer. And having prayed, God sends an answer. In verses 13 to 17, Yehovah God's prophetic word th- comes through the prophet Yehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and brings comfort and strength and instruction to the people of Israel. And then verses 18 to 21 we see praise which springs forth from godly fear. And we're going to actually cover godly fear uh, more particularly in this message. Next the conquest comes by the hand of the Lord in verses 22 to 23 uh, the, the people of Judah they do what God says. They go down to meet them and God says the battle is the Lord's or the prophet says the battle is God's. But They go down because they're told to go down, go and meet these people, and they go and meet them, and they sing praises to Jehovah God uh, while the ambush is set by the Lord in verses 22 to 23. It reminds me of Psalm chapter 22, verse 3, and many of our young people know from our Wednesday nights that Psalm 22 is one of my favorite psalms. Psalm twenty-two, verse three: But Thou art holy, O Thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And so, with this battle that's going on, where they don't even, you know, lift the sword or shield, and they come against this great horde. This, uh, as in the English Standard Version says, a horde. That's young people. When you read H O R D E, horde, that means a lot, a lot. So there's a lot of people that, they're, that are coming up against them as an enemy, and God takes care of them. And we don't know if, whether it's by an angel or the Holy Spirit moved upon Moab and Ammon, but Moab and, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they just go and destroy the, the Edomites, and there's a battle raging bef- between both of them, and then there's nothing but a, a, a bunch of dead bodies around. It's kind of like a, a Big Mac attack, leaving a deserted french fries all over the field. Thank you for that witness. Uh, <laughs> the young people got it. So here is this, and it reminds us of the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 8 and verse 37, it says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And because of Christ's cross, this is why it happened. Even though the cross of Christ wouldn't come for, wouldn't come for about 800 or 900 years after this event, it is because of the, this was to show the truth of the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus fought the battle on the cross. Did we have to lift anything to help him? No, absolutely not. He did it on his own. Verse 24 through 30, we see the spoil provided through the defeat of the foe. And uh, more importantly, it says here in verse 29, and the fear of God. Came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So apparently the news went out. Oh, they got confused and they fought one another. No, the word went out that Jehovah God, the God of Judah, the God of Israel, He went out and He fought for them, and and uh, there there they were done in. They were done for because of His mighty arm. And then in uh, chapter. 20 verses 31 to 37, we have the close of Jehoshaphat's reign, and that is that's coincident with 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 48 and 50. 48 through 50. So, those three verses there, we have the shipwreck and, and uh, the saving grace of the king's life. Uh, see that Jehoshaphat made an agreement with Ahab's son Ahaziah. And they combined their fleets for trade with Tarshish, but they had wrecked. And then Eliezer, uh, the prophet, denounced the unholy alliance. So Ahaziah attributed the disaster to Je- Jehoshaphat's, uh, some of the commentators present this, that uh, pr- uh thinks that because Jehoshaphat's sailors were unskilled, were unskillful guys, this is why it was. So he says, look, let's let's... Uh, have an alliance again, and Jehoshaphat declined the offer. Uh, you know, having the word from Eleazar, and says, "Well, this must be judgment from the Lord." He's already he's learned his lesson after we've looked at Jehoshaphat's life in four chapters, and so we see this in Jehoshaphat's life. He loved the Lord, but he was not immune to sin and error, just as we are. The f- corruptions of our flesh still remain, and we see this. As a real truth, the Bible tells us so. Now, considering some applications, we should have some applications for this, just because it's only 13 minutes into my introduction. I planned on it being 10 minutes, but we'll slide on three, three minutes. But considering some of the applications from the episode, in verses one through 12, we see the priority of prayer when tribulations arise. Uh, James chapter five, verse 13 the first part of it, it says is anyone among you suffering or is anyone any afflicted let him pray and so we see this reality that uh, that prayer as we've been looking at it on wednesday nights prayer is not our grocery list to bring before god prayer is communion with god now that we have access to god through the god man the lord jesus christ and so God brings us great opportunities time and time and time again, and sometimes, many times, it's through affliction, suffering, and tribulation. And where else to go? But to the Lord. Let us remember that and keep that in mind that there's a priority in prayer. That when we use that prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Luke chapter 11, and we use that as a model to set, all, set out. With our day, then when those things arise, we've already met with the Lord. We already have communion with the Lord, and so we can pray and ask what we will. In verses thirteen to thirty, we see peace from God's prophetic word. It reminds me of Psalm one hundred nineteen. Again, young people, right? It's one of my favorite psalms. Psalm one hundred nineteen, in verse one sixty five, it says, "Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble." And so, as they pray. The Word of God comes forth and it enlightens them, it, uh, it presents unto them what they must do, and also comforts them do not be afraid, do not be dismayed because there's great peace from those who love your law and verses 20 to 37 we have prominence of spiritual blessings in temporal times uh, verse 25 in particular. We see the spoil that is taken. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. And they were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. Our New Testament tells us that See, these were foreshadows of real spiritual things that we need more importantly. And certainly we need those things like food. And and the Lord tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, that you don't have to think about those things. God provides for those things to the Gentiles, to uh, heathen, to unbelievers. He's certainly going to provide those things for you, he says in Matthew chapter 6. But what we see and what's more needed is the spiritual things. That he will provide exceedingly in Ephesians three, he says exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think. And as we see the spoil collected, the things that through the victory that was that was God's, and and uh, they did they, they just all they did was go down there so that they could be ready to take the spoil because God confounded them and God brought them victory. That there is a supply of clothing and and. Uh, there was a, uh, They found in great numbers goods and clothing and precious things. And so the spiritual things that accompany a victory in Christ, our faith grows. We see that uh, when we face a battle in the shadow of Christ's outstretched arms on the cross, our faith grows stronger. Godly fear grows deeper. Joy in Christ grows higher. Love for others grows broader because... The love for Christ in that victory grows larger. When we see Christ in our lives, in operation in our lives, the things that are most important are those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control against such things there is no law. So, But let's look primarily at this thing we've been looking at for three weeks out of four. Godly fear The fear of the Lord as previously considered in the last in three lessons in the last four weeks as I mentioned, we have from Proverbs chapter nine verse ten we saw a godly fear as wisdom's beginning. We considered from a text that we saw in Second Chronicles, we considered uh the, the Proverbs nine verse ten that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the holy is understanding in the King James Version. And the English Standard Version is, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And both of those versions are terrific from the Hebrew. It, it, it presents unto us that when we consider because of the corruptions of our flesh in loving reverence, we fear grieving the Holy Spirit and quenching the Holy Spirit. We fear displeasing Christ who had given his life for us. We fear dishonoring the Father, the Heavenly Father, because we've, we stray in faith so often. We dishonor the cross time and again. And we also saw the following week, we, uh, we saw godly fear is wisdom. Job 28, verse 28 says, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. And so we see twofold from Job 28, verse 28, that even though the fear of the Lord is the source and the beginning of wisdom, it's not just merely where it commences, but it's also the source of what wisdom is and that that is wisdom so that we don't stray from the fear of the Lord. And that it's active, it causes us to step out because it says to turn away from evil is understanding. We're not just passive in ignoring what sin is. We're active in understanding that it's there and that I don't want to have any part to do with that. Because those things take me away from the cross. Those things take me away from the love of God in Christ. And then last week we took a look at godly fear is a grace of God. In uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, that the God-Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, walked in perfect godly fear. But it's a little different from the fear that we have to face in godly fear, because we know the corruptions in our, that still remain in our flesh once we're saved will cause us to to stumble and so forth. But could Jesus stumble? Absolutely not. When he was tempted and tested of the devil and of and of men he withstood it to the very end because he is perfect man. But it says of him in Isaiah 11 and verse 2, but the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And what we saw last week that as he was in the garden, trembling because of what he would face, that he who walked most intimately with God far greater than any man who's ever lived since and including Adam, that he would face the wrath of God and the disdain the of God for sins and he would take the whole whole of sin upon his shoulders for our sakes that we might be saved who trust in him. And therefore, that what we saw last week is in seeing this, We are to keep at the cross of Christ. This is a fear of the Lord that as Jesus went to the cross and knew what it meant and prayed in the garden, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. And he did so in great agony because of what he would face. Now that he's gone through that, what we face in the fear of the Lord is to have by silly sentimentality or sins that so easily beset us, sin creep up to take us away from the cross to think that we can do something apart from the lord jesus who told us in john 15 and verse 5 that apart from me you can do nothing and so that apart from his cross we should fear that that i might move away from the truth that christ is god who became man and suffered and died so that i may have life with him this access That's what it means, young people. When I say to keep at the cross, what does it mean? Don't let anything rob you of the thought, the meditation, the joy of Christ's sacrifice upon the cross. What he did for you to give you access to heaven, to give you fellowship with God, to give you life everlasting. That's what our flesh will do. The flesh hates God's grace and it hates the gospel. The gospel, though, this supernatural truth that is written in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, all exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, our flesh wants to take that away from us. The enemy, the unseen realm of the principalities and powers, that doesn't want us to walk in a victorious truth of not being afraid, of going with God in the truth of the gospel of understanding that that the righteous life, that you cannot walk because of sin, that so easily, as the old King James Version says, so easily besets us, and so easily ingrained within us because we're descendants of Adam, that God sent His only Son, the second person of the Trinity, to walk as righteous man. That as fully man and as fully God that he walked the righteous life that you and I can't, and then going to the cross is a perfect sacrifice. Our flesh doesn't want to see that and doesn't want to enjoy that and doesn't want to grasp that. And this is what godly fear is about there. We want to keep that truth of the gospel and in trusting in Christ alone, and not by any works that we have done, that brings salvation. And so godly fear contains a paradox, though, as I mentioned at the end of last week's message. I I gave you a cliffhanger message. Romans 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And then 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so we have this paradox it seems to conflict. I'm, I'm afraid that I might sin against the Lord and I might displease the Lord Jesus and dishonor the Father. But then it says, Don't fear. And we read it today in verse 15 of chapter 20 in 2 Chronicles. How do we reconcile these? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to, I hope to be able to unpack this and tell you. The fear of the Lord as predicaments arise and as we see this in our verse in verse 15, it gives us an indication of what this is. That though we have these fears as well, I, I, I walk as a, a human that is frail. And that apart from the Lord Jesus, I can do nothing, as he says in John 15. So, how do I walk as more than a conqueror in him who loved me, but also carefully and cautiously reverent and awesomely loving? How do I fit all those together? Well, here it says in Proverbs 14, verse 26, I put two verses there in the middle of your handout. Proverbs 14, verse 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. But we see the truth from verse 15 of chapter 20. Again, I want to read it. And he said, the prophet said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. And part of the fear of the Lord is there is this, and I'm sure that you've all experienced this in one shape, way, or form, or another. That you've read the scripture, you know what it says, but you don't know how to carry it out. And I'm afraid. I look at this and I know that I'm supposed to trust in the Lord God. And here, to Judah, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. And now, the battle is the Lord's. Well, that's easy for you to say God because you know the end from the beginning, but I'm just me. Have you ever thought that? That, that, that Lord, you says, it says in, your, in the scriptures to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But, Lord, it's me you're asking to do that. I know Jesus did it but I want to trust on this. Sometimes we read the scriptures and we walk through life and we're like the man whose son had a demon, the demon-possessed boy. And as Jesus, Peter, James, and John are coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and here's this man, I, I brought him, my son, to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. And he says, well, anything's possible to those who believe. He says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Have you ever felt like that? I feel like that all the time, and I'm your pastor. It doesn't quit because of the corruptions that are in us, because of the flesh. But when I see what the Word says, this is the supernatural truth that comes. So, Lord, I surrender to it. This is where the truth is. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Because you're frail, you are afraid that you will miss it, but God's Word is stronger than your feelings and stronger than your failings. Did you get that? I thought it was good enough. I'm going to repeat it because I need it. God's word is stronger than your feelings and stronger than your failings. That when we see his word, I can trust that it says this, that I fail so much, but it says that God is sovereign and that by his grace, we have been saved. And that when we are in his hand, that he saved us, that there's no one that can snatch it out of his hand. Why? Because he's God. God but sometimes i my flesh creeps up and i don't believe it lord help my unbelief your word says it and i don't want to stand on it but also the word encourages us not to fail so i have to believe that too why because there's a reality there that i do i can't walk as a you know a blithering idiot if i could say it that way to think that i'm not going to fall i'm not going to fail and most of us over 50 And all of us over 60 know that our flesh isn't something to be relied upon. It fails. It aches. It pains. And if you're suffering from an injury, you're even doing that much worse. And so we can rely on God's word beyond what we feel physically, emotionally, or mentally. And beyond our failings. Now it says also in Proverbs fourteen twenty six it says and his children and I capitalized it there it's not capitalized in most of your English in all of your English Standard Version Bibles and none of your King James Bibles his children will have a refuge which is it capitalized or uncapitalized is it our the child the man who fears the Lord his children or is it the saved children that's God's children yes. It's both of them. It's practical for us as fathers. Ephesians 6, four says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But it's also for those who are saved. So I capitalized to give God first place, but I'm explaining it backwards. The other one is in Romans 8.15 that I recited for you before. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption uh by whom we cry abba father but let's look at some things and they're in your your they're in your uh in your handout real quick what does the fear of the lord mean to have strong confidence the first one it says do not be afraid that you're to have strong courage to trust in god's word above any above what you feel about it God's word is more important. I should, I need to trust this. And sometimes I think, well, I don't know, Lord. But His word is mighty. Do not be afraid. And that's where the strong courage comes from. This is what it means when uh, Jesus, when it, when Paul says in Ephesians six, put on the the strength of the Lord and the power of His might. Sister Vicky is teaching the young people the armor of God. That's where the courage comes in. Courage comes in and trusting in. Christ and his righteousness and his sacrifice, not in yours. That's courage. Because the world and even some churches will tell you to trust in what you have done. And it's not in what you have done. It's what Christ does, has done, and will do. Next, we see in the second part of verse 15, it says, do not be dismayed have supreme confidence. We tend to despair quite often, don't we? That when I have failed especially, I'm supposed to have strong courage so I'm to trust in in the Lord God. But when I fail to trust in him, then I get discouraged. So God already immediately, when he's talking to us through the word, when he speaks to Judah through the prophet, he says, not only do not be afraid, trust, but when you fail to trust or when you think you're sliding in trust, Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged because of the third part. The battle is not yours, but God's. He's sovereign. He put you in the situation you're in. So then therefore, and I'm getting ahead of myself, therefore you could praise him for that. Apparently, Lord, there's something, and I've been learning this for the last 37 years of my Christianity, coming up on 38 now. I've been learning this for 38 years. Oh, Lord, I'm in this because you want me to learn something. You want me to see Jesus. You want me to grow nearer to you. Because I've seen this weird thing that's on the internet and it keeps on coming up and coming up. He gets us. <laughs> and I don't mean to cast a dispersion on it. And if somebody saw it and they came in here, I'll show them the truth. But it, it, He want, Jesus wants you to act like children. That's a kind of misleading statement. We are to be childlike in our approach, but to not be mature—that defies the scripture. We're to grow. I don't want—I don't want to tell Ezekiel back there, or a little, you know, or Stefan back here. Well, just stay like you are. We like you that way, especially at two. <laughs> they call them terrible twos for a reason. <laughs> just stay like that. No. We want Him to grow. We want our babies to grow into into maturity. We want our uh, spiritual lives to grow into maturity. God wants that for us. And we see submissive conquest when we submit to the Lord because it's His battle. Oh, we'll see victory. We'll see victory. We'll see that Romans Romans 8.37 that we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Next, we see... I provided you the verse, Proverbs twenty, Proverbs 14, verse 27. Proverbs 14, verse 27. Um, this takes a portion of chapter 20, verses 16 to 22, but Proverbs 14, verse 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Because the thing that kills us And I'm not just using that as an expression. There's something in us that dies every time we sin. Christ died upon the cross. But we're supposed to turn to life. And here's again another paradox. To turn to life and to be alive is to die daily. Jesus said it in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, that if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But that's life. When Jesus, who is life, left his celestial robes of glory to become a flesh and bone human being, perfect man, he came so, as he says in Luke 19, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came among sinners who cannot help themselves because he must be their only help. Now that we're saved, we become much more like him when we intercede for others when we uh, even do externally unto others to love your neighbor as yourself, because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you do Deuteronomy chapter six verse uh, verses four and five, but unless you're doing Leviticus nineteen that says, "Love your neighbor as yourself," the first one is undone because Jesus, who loves God the Father with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, also came to love his neighbor as himself. Love us with a perfect love. And so here's this fountain of joy in the first part of verse 15, where the prophet says, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Uh, What we see with this, the listen, thus says the Lord to you, attentively hearing, Sometimes I get legalistic and Lord willing, I don't do it too much, but I get like on this thing. I got the four portions that I'm going to read from the Robert Murray McShane reading plan so I could get through the Bible in a whole year and I'll go through and I'll read them. Today, I didn't read them. Normally, I read them for, after I have prayed early in the morning. I get up and I go, through my, uh, I go through and I read my four portions and I love my four portions, but I wouldn't have given them the time to attentively listen today. And so when I go home today, I'm going I'm to listen to them this afternoon so that I can give my time to the Word so that the Word could make its time in me. So it can give me that eternal truth rather than a casual truth. I don't want casual from my Lord because He gave everything. He gave the utmost. It's lavish what He has given unto you lavish what he's given unto me so we don't want to give him casual Jesus Jesus was calm because his faith was perfect in his walk knowing what he must do but it wasn't casual it was intent upon the truth of the cross the next thing is in verse 16 what we see here where he says he says go down against them fear of the lord means active obedience Though I heard the word that, oh, the battle is the Lord's. What is my flesh going to think about that? Oh, the battle's the Lord's. (laughs) Go on, Lord, go do it. (laughs) Go get it done, because I'll just get in the way. (laughs) No, he says go right down there and face it. And I could bring up a bunch of situations, but I don't have the time. Maybe as we finish up in Chronicles, we'll be able to see some of these things that pop up in it. However, we need to be actively obedient. The Lord said in verse, uh, in verse 16, go on down there. I know I told you that the battle is mine, but now you need to go down there, that they've come up. And that instills in us more trust. Well, Lord, you're gonna have to protect us because that's where the enemy is. He says, go right into the enemy's camp. Why? Because the Lord Jesus, he faced temptation after temptation after temptation and withstood. And even if I can't do it, I don't have the power to do it, neither do you. But when the Lord's word brings us a command to obey, if it is in our power to do so, let's do it and let's do it mightily. Next thing we see is in the first part of verse 17. It says, stand firm, hold your position and see. That I called, you can see off to the side, it says, assuredly faithful. See, stand firm. We stand upon the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We stand firmly upon the fact and the truth, the scriptures that say that the Lord has saved us if thus we believe. And so when we've gone down there, we face the enemy. We don't bring all these other things with us. I mean, we're dressed in armor, certainly the armor of God. But we don't have to well, you know what? I better call up Brother Mike. See if he's got some time. Maybe Brother Mike can come with me. No, he says to go on down. If the Lord called Brother Mike to come on down with me, then we'll both face it together. But sometimes he'll call you alone. Call you by yourself. Sometimes he'll call you like Daniel. And you'll have to be thrown right into a lion's den of these things that you must face. And so you are assuredly faithful, that if the Lord is having you do it, then go on and do it. The second part, he says, because this is the reason why, because in the second part of verse 17, he says, because the Lord will be with you. What a comfort that is. The Lord will be with you. And Sister B, I apologize, but that I, I know that's a word. I could have put expectantly, but that begins with an E. Anticipatingly, ant, anticipatingly hopeful. And hope isn't like, well, I hope the Lord is with me. No, He is with you. But when we are doing this, when I know the presence of the Lord is with me, this anticipation also that this presence is only a foreshadow of the eternal presence I'll have with Him when that day comes. Anticipatingly hopeful. This is a shadow. When the Lord says he'll be with me, he says so in his word, I'm comforted by that. And when he goes, there's a courage that comes up with recognizing that this presence that I'm experiencing now is only a foreshadow of what is to come. It's only a a tiny glimpse and a taste of the goodness of what the Lord Jesus will be in that day. But it is still. It's a very wonderful thing. Then in verse 18 it says, they fell down before the Lord. Because of the word of the Lord and now it's working in us in godly fear, it's uh, awesomely reverent. And it causes us to bow before God in our hearts, maybe not physically, maybe sometimes even physically. But when we see his word for what it is, godly fear brings us to our knees. In worship of God. Because everything is worship. But in particular, when we see the truth of his word that has so captured us in godly fear, it brings us to worship him in awesome reverence. Finally, in verse 19, speaking of it does speak of the Levites and the Kohathites. Well, I'm not in the priesthood, brother. If you're saved, you are. Because in the New Testament. Peter calls us in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a royal priesthood. The priesthood of believers. One of the uh, earmarks of the primitive Baptists from the Puritan days of the Puritans that we believe in the priesthood of believers. And so therefore, it is appropriate for us, but it says that they stood up to praise. They stood up to praise. And we'll see that when that comes forth, when we have that anticipation of the hope of christ and we see this awesome reverence that will now having bowed down we stand up and we worship him actively in praise and in verse 22 they began to sing and praise it says in verse 22 and then they began to sing and praise and while they were praising god was doing his work he set an ambush for them and cleaned their clocks as it were and so we have this this affectionately praising, will affectionately praise. See, God wants of you in godly fear. He's not saying that you should tremble so much that you can't move, that you're you're petrified with fear because oh, if I do something, God's gonna zap me. No, He's lovingly bringing us along because. The glow of His glory is so intense and so immense that if He didn't prepare us through the truth of Jesus Christ that when His presence does come it would be like he, we were thrown as a wax figure on the surface of the sun. We would melt, disintegrate as it were while still being conscious and alive. But He brings us along and says now His glory is something that we can get a glimpse of now, and one day we will be changed to be like him, but in doing so First John says that, First John chapter three: that when he appears, we shall, when he comes, we shall see him as he is, for we shall be like him, and then we'll be able to worship Him in the manner he's worthy to be worshiped. But until then, God wants you to grow. He wants you to mature, to be wise in eternal truth. And while we should fear in reverent caution of sinning against the Holy God, we should fear in reverent awe and love of His merciful nature and His gracious character. We serve, folks, we serve such a good God, such a tremendous God that the Lord Jesus Christ is such a great God in who He is and what He has done. As perfect man, but He is a good God. And His name is above every name. Mr. Spurgeon in 1876 said this of of Proverbs 14, verse 26, speaking on godly fear. And in this message, he says this, quote, This fear of God declares itself in other things besides braving trouble and enduring. It will be a tower of strength to you when you stand up to bear witness to the truth. Have you anything to say for Jesus? You will say it in a very cowardly and sneaking manner if you have not a great fear of God. But if you fear God much, you will be made like Peter and John, of whom when the council saw them, it is said they wondered at their boldness. The fear of God will make you bold in speaking God's word. Or, should you fall down in sheer exhaustion instead of standing up in sound enthusiasm, the fear of God will prove a potent restorative, even if you are overthrown for a time, you shall overcome at the last. End quote. I thought that was a pretty good summation of of how we should approach godly fear in fearing not and not being discouraged, that it will bring us a witness where boldness is needed when I sometimes cower before men, but because I fear God and do not want to disappoint Him, because He's given me an opportunity to to share with those that may not know Him, to say, Jesus is the only answer. A sovereign God brought opportunity to Judah's king via warring nations. By the way of warring nations, but godly fear caused him to pray to receive peace and comfort from God's word and godly fear to receive brought him to uh, an opportunity to receive spiritual plunder and pers- provision through God's victory in the king's life and in the lives of God's people i can't say enough about godly fear it's all through the bible and it seems to be mysterious but when we recognize the fear of the lord though it's a though it's a grace of god we cultivate it by staying at the cross keeping at the cross and young people again keeping at the cross is to not let anything including yourself your fears your 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 flesh to from keeping the cross from your thoughts your meditations and your joy because of who christ is and what he has done let's pray Our most blessed and gracious Father in God, in Jesus' name and for his sake, we thank you, Lord, that godly fear, the fear of the Lord, it's all through the Bible and it is a mystery. We ask you, Father, very much so that your Holy Spirit will guide us to the truth of Christ, that Lord Jesus, you'll teach us the fear of the Lord. As the psalm says, come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Lord Jesus, teach us the fear of the Lord so that we may... Walk pleasing unto you and be the people you called us to be. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we do pray. Amen.